Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Start off this series today, uh, building what God is building. And, and I believe that through this, God is going to clarify in our hearts and our minds what it is that we're a part of. You need to have a vision for what you're a part of and the perspective of what you're a part of if you're truly going to honor and truly going to walk in and fulfill uh, what, it, what it's all about. And so um, as we look at the church, as we look at our lives, as we look at, at, at purpose and meaning and, and intention and dreams and hopes, uh, you know, it gives us a moment here before the beginning of the new year to actually think about our lives, to actually think about what God has called us to and, and, and what it is that we're pursuing with our hearts and lives. What is the end of that thing that you're pursuing with your life? Uh, there was a, a famous American poet by the name of Walt Whitman, which many of you may have heard about. And um, I feel intimately acquainted with Walt Whitman because for the longest time, I had the complete works of Walt Whitman in my bathroom. And so I would, I would read it whenever I was um, brushing my teeth. And um, I don't know what you guys were thinking, but, um, but whenever, whenever I was brushing my teeth, I would be reading uh, the poems of Walt Whitman. And, and uh, this is a famous line from one of his poems that you may have heard before, uh, but I just thought I would, I would read it out as we, as we start out this morning. He said this, he said, The question, O oh me, so sad recurring, what good amidst these, O oh me, O oh life? In all the struggles of life, in all the hardship of life, in all the things that we battle with, in all the things we face, what is the purpose? What is the plan? What is the good amidst all of these difficult things? He says, the answer that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. And I just felt that that is so significant for us as believers, to know that there is a powerful play, that there is a story, that there is a narrative, that there is a plan, that there is, there is a history and a future that God is enacting, and He's doing it through His church, and we are here. We're in this moment. We're present right now. I said this last week as we ended our series in Corinthians about a wide open door that God has set before us. It's a door that Jesus says, I put a door before you that no one can shut. No one can keep the plan of God from being set before you. Each of us, every one of us, even if this is your first time in church in 50 years, there is a door before you. It's a wide open door and it is gonna cause you to become effective, a door for effective work. And that door stands in front of us. And we approach in this present moment, the intersection between God's eternal purpose and your physical presence. Right here today, right now, there is an eternal plan that God has set out before you were even born that you get to connect with in this moment right now. This is a significant day in your life. It might just feel like another Sunday. You might have woken up this morning thinking, well, I'm just going to quickly go to church and got to get dressed and maybe it felt like a bit of a schlep and maybe you drove from far and you got here and, 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 and you know, you feel like you're just going through the motions. But let me tell you that the plans of God and the purposes of God and the future that God has for you doesn't care about how you feel today. It's not dependent on how pumped you felt waking up. No, there is something eternal that we get to step into. 
It's the plan of God. And here's the great news. Each one of us get to contribute a verse. We get to be a part of that story. God didn't need to use any of us. He didn't need to choose any of us, but he wanted to. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And so you're here today because God has a plan for you, because God has a future for you, because God has something that he wants to do through you and people that will be blessed, people, lives that will be changed on the other side of your obedience. Let me tell you a quick story. Um, when we started Anchor Church, we were in the upstairs area of a restaurant and uh, we, were, we, we would transform the kids' play area into, into church every Sunday. And so, and so it was upstairs and they had a massive jungle gym, you know, those heavy ones made out of plastic. And we would have to carry those down the stairs along with these tables that I don't know if they were made out of iron, but it looked like wood, but it was heavier than anything you've ever picked up in your life. And we had to carry three of those downstairs every Sunday just to get the, our chairs in there and get everything set up. And we were there, we were walking. And so we would have a trailer. You might actually see it parked out there still today. Um, and, uh, and, and we would have everything that we owned was inside that trailer. And so on a Sunday morning, I would drive to this empty felt that was next to my parents' house. It was in, within a, in an estate, but it was kind of an empty plot. And um, I'd hook the trailer at 5.30 a.m., and I'd drive across to where this, uh, it was at the Design Quarter Shopping Center. I'd park the trailer, and we'd begin to unload. And we'd walk towards this restaurant, which was through the mall. So we're carrying speakers. We're carrying all of our stuff through, through the shopping center. And we wait by the door for the staff to arrive, to open up. And when they open up, we've got one hour to set up before we have to sound check and get everything ready. Those were amazing days. And as we were carrying those things down the stairs, I used to say to the team, we're just building the spirit of a pioneer. That's what we're doing. We're putting some iron in our bones as we do these things. Um, and, and, and it was an amazing thing. But, but, you know, it was never about the setup. It was about the people. It was about what we were going to be able to, to do. It was about the message we were going to be able to share and about the lives that, were going to be, that was going to be changed. And on the way to, uh, to where this restaurant was, was another little shop. It was a furniture store. And there was a guy in that furniture store that, uh, that used to work there and, and, uh, and, and would kind of be standing by the front door. And one of our team members, as we were offloading and carrying things, saw him there one day and said to him, hey, why don't you come to church? Just that invitation. He's just standing doing his job, but he got an invitation just to come to church. And you know what? He came. He'd never been to church in his life before. His family is not religious. Nobody in his, church, in his family, uh, you know, were believers. And he came. And even though he felt like a fish out of water and he told us as much, you could see he was, you know, it felt awkward or whatever. Something that God did that day spoke to him. God reached into his life and he gave his life to Jesus. A few weeks or months later, we had our very first baptism at Anchor Church. And our we didn't have a place to baptize people because we were in a restaurant and, um, you know, the, the, the sink in the kitchen wasn't big enough. So, so we, we arranged to go to somebody's house after church. We went there, we had a braai, and I remember him standing in that group and we, I, I looked him in the eye and, and, and I was explaining the significance of baptism and, and I could see he was hearing me. And he ended up being one of the first people we ever baptized at Anchor Church Joburg. Yesterday, I had the unfortunate, yet, you know, it's unfortunate, but it was the, the privilege of, of conducting his memorial. Guy in his early 30s, passed away suddenly of a heart attack, 
had a, obviously some heart defect. And I was able to stand on this stage yesterday saying, I know where he is. I know what, what he's doing right now. I, I can say with absolute confidence that regardless of what his journey was like before that moment, that God reached into his life. And why? Well, simply because a small group of people were willing to set up and do something that God had called them to do. Because one person extended an invitation, and because of that, an entire eternal destiny was changed. And we have seen God do that in countless lives since we started Anchor Church. Now, that invitation might have been one quick thought and one quick action, but it had an eternal impact. And the person that made that invitation contributed a verse, did something that changed a life. As I stood here yesterday ministering to the family, I was able to preach the gospel to them and see them respond. Powerful things happen when we simply take God at His word and do what we can do. Sometimes we think we need to do it all, but we can't do it all, but we can do something. Each of us can be a part of what God has for us. And this is the unthinkable privilege and honor that we have to be about building what God is building. And He is building. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says this. He says, I will build my church. I think the I and the my are significant there. Jesus is the one that is building. He's doing something and He is building what? His church. It belongs to him. It's his family. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as I read that su succession that Jesus is doing something and the gates of hell will come against it, I thought about Paul's writing when he said, I will stay in Ephesus. We looked at this last week because a wide door has opened to me for effective work and there are many adversaries. So whenever we want to pursue what God is pursuing, I want to tell you, like I said last week, that there will be resistance that the enemy will, will do whatever he can to distract and divert your attention away from building what God is building. He'll cause us to focus more on ourselves and more on our own journey and more on our own needs and in this way neutralize the effectiveness that God has determined for you for the kingdom. And that's something that we must be aware of. Paul says we are not unaware of Satan's strategies, of his schemes, to get us to live lives that have very little impact. No, every single one of you in this room today, God has an impact for you to make. And it's not an insignificant impact. It is an eternal impact. It is an impact that will change lives. And so we recently finished a series uh, within our, first, our series in 1 Corinthians on finances and, uh, and money. And God spoke so powerfully powerfully to us through His Word in that area, um, even though it was pro it's probably one of the most contentious issues that you can talk about in church. You know, when people come to church and they talk about money, you know, immediately eyes are rolling and people are sighing and people are looking at each other. And we kind of went through that, but we found that we could see Jesus in the midst of our worship through our finances so powerfully. And so we've just done a series on probably the most contentious issue to talk about in church. And today I want to start what probably is for some reason, the second most contentious issue to talk about in church. And for some other reason, 
The second most contentious issue you can talk about in church is the church. It's the actual church. It's funny how we can be in church while at the same time carry some form of of distrust or disdain for the very thing that we're a part of. It's like a, a married man or a married woman being in a marriage but kind of hating their marriage at the same time. Sometimes we feel like church is a necessary evil. Like, oh, it's the church and it's this. And we've got all of our things that we say about, you know, how church is conducted and and about the leaders and about the community and what we've experienced. We have all of our reasons and our justifications. And we actually end up hating the thing that we're a part of. Even if it's very subtle, even if it's, even if it's just in our hearts somewhere, we, we kind of feel that when a, when, a, when a pastor gets up and he talks about the church, we're like, oh, did I have to come this Sunday? When are we going to talk about how God is going to bless me again? Or we're going to talk about it right now. Because God has planned to bless His people through His church. And uh, we're going to help you connect with the very purpose for which you were created. To fulfill that calling on your life. To understand who you are in Christ. To become connected and integrated with everything that God has for you. And to bear fruit in the kingdom. You are going to be like a tree planted by the side of the river that bears fruit in every season. How many of you have that vision for your life? Come on, we're not seasonal Christians. We're not people that are just effective in one season and then not in the next. No, by the grace of God, being planted in His Word, being planted in His grace, and standing within the community that He has given us, you will be fruitful. I speak it over your life this morning. You will have an impact on the lives of people around you. Generally, people have developed one of two attitudes towards the church in general. At best, it's distrust. Can I trust these guys? Can I trust the church? Can I trust what they're about? Can I give myself to it wholeheartedly? At worst, it's disdain. I remember chatting to my neighbor. I didn't, you know, meet my neighbor for uh, quite a few months after we moved in there. And then eventually um, she put her head over the wall to complain about something. I think it was one of my lights that was too bright or something. I was like, it's like 11 watt LED. I don't know what to do about that, you know. Um, but but she, was, she was at the wall and I went over and I thought, no, let me, let me connect a little bit. And, you know, we're neighbors and we always want to be friendly. And so I'm talking to her and asking her what she does. And eventually she says, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, well I'm a pastor. And you know what she did? She went, oh, and she rolled her eyes. I'm so sorry to disappoint you. But there's this sense of disdain that people carry towards the church. And, and it actually often puts Lee and I in difficult positions. We were uh, on a drive recently. Uh, we went out to do some birding in St. Lucia. And we were driving with some other people. And the same thing, they asked us, um, they asked us what we do for a living. We said, well, we lead a church in Joburg. The whole vehicle went silent. <laughs> Nobody said anything again. I was like, okay, you know. So people carry this attitude within them. I remember years ago, though, seeing a study, very interesting study that was done in regards to married couples. And what this study did was it took a whole bunch of of engaged couples before they got married and interviewed them, asked them questions and filmed the interview. Then they tracked those relationships. After those couples got married, they tracked the marriages to see how the marriages turned out. 
And then they looked at all of those couples. You know, these days it's like you've got a one in two chance of divorce. Those are the stats at least. And so they tracked all the couples that got divorced and went back to the interviews to see if they could find something in the interview that was a common denominator that if this was present before the wedding, before the marriage, then this is probably what would lead to divorce. And they ended up finding something. They found that in all of those interviews, all of the couples that eventually got divorced showed one common emotion at least once during the interview. And that emotion was the emotion of disdain. If they showed any form of disdain during the interview, the chances are they would end up getting divorced later. And so I went and looked up the dictionary definition of disdain. And it means to consider something or someone as unworthy of your respect. And I realized that the reason why so many people are divorced from the plan and the purpose of God for their lives is because they've harbored disdain to His church. If you want to divorce God's plan for your life, have disdain for His church. You consider the church, the bride of Christ, the people of God as unworthy of your respect. You won't respect it with your presence, you won't respect it with your time. You won't respect it with your words. You won't respect it with your treasure. You won't respect it. You won't respect the leaders. You have an opinion. You have a critique. You have a criticism. It is a fast track to separating yourself from the plan and purpose of God for your life. Why? Because this is not our plan. It's God's plan. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what he said he was going to build. Now, there are local churches with local expressions, and I had one, a wonderful meeting this week for about two hours where I sat with a 77-year-old man for two hours discussing our faith here in the cafe. And he's a devout Catholic man who's been Catholic his whole life, pretty much, grew up as a Baptist, then became a Catholic, and we, we discussed the merits of a personal Faith in Jesus, regardless of what denomination you're a part of. And you know what? He likes the old hymns. He likes the, the old buildings and the traditional sense of things. And none of, you know, what your personal preference is as to the expression isn't the be all and end all. It's about, are we being faithful to Jesus? Do we have a personal relationship with him? So it's not about we can get caught up on what's the correct expression. No, I think it's about what is the faith that's in your heart. What are you giving yourself towards? How are you connecting with God, God's plan for your life? But I, I just feel that we so often adjudicate or judge the church to be unworthy of our consideration or respect. And I feel like that's something that we need to deal with in our hearts. Amen? Come on. We need to deal with that because God has a plan for us. And that plan is not something that we're going to be able to fulfill by ourselves. It's something that we have to fulfill together as a community. I want to read two scriptures to you here. The first one is from Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 30. And Paul writes about marriage again. Uh, it talks about marriage, but then says how this actually uh, shows us the relationship between Jesus and His church. 
In Ephesians 5 verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church and he loves the church. And he gave himself up for her. Well, what we're a part of here today, Jesus died for. He died for. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with a word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Now, Paul wrote those words to the church in Ephesus. But if you rewind the tape a little bit and you go back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8, you'll find that Paul, before he wrote this about the church, actually personally hated the church. He had a personal disdain for the church. In fact, he saw it as his mission in life to fight against the church, to uh, split families apart and to, to drag believers before the council and to commit them to prison and, and, and to stand by, even as Stephen was stoned to death. Paul, who was then known as Saul, stood by and approved of the putting to death of somebody who was building the church. And so we read about how he personally came to know Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And so I want to read this little passage, Acts 9 verse 1 to 5. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which was the name of the early church, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So this shows us some significant things about the church, what the church is about and what the church is. And the first thing that we see here, when we're talking about the church, is that we're talking about the bride of Christ. Number one, we're talking about the bride. The church is Jesus's bride. The very people that Jesus gave his life for, that he died for, and that includes all of us here today. So this is not a small matter to God. It's his bride. And he cares passionately about his bride. I have my wife here like I do every Sunday morning in the front row, and, and if anybody came up to her, and threatened her, or insulted her, or disrespected her, you're bound to have a Damascus Road experience. You'll be on the ground, and you won't be able to see out of either eye, most likely. But why? She's my wife. She's my bride. She's precious to me. And that, that doesn't mean that my wife is above criticism or above critique. That doesn't mean that we're not open to feedback. That doesn't mean that we're untouchable. But here's the thing. The Bible says, and I've, and I've always believed this, even for my own children. The Bible says that those in whom the Lord delights, He disciplines. So because God loves us, He brings discipline into our lives. He disciplines us. He corrects us. He brings healing. 
But the qualification for the discipline or the, the, the applying of discipline is delight. And so I've even said with my own kids, with other family members or whatever, unless you delight in my kids, you can't discipline me. The qualification to being able to discipline is to delight. And in the same way, anybody that wants to criticize the church must love the church. We're not above criticism. We're not a perfect church. We get many things wrong. We're hearing from God every day. We have countless hours of discussion about what the church is, what we're called to be, how we can be it authentic, what, authentically, how we, how, how we need to improve, what things we need to shape within us, uh, what kind of leaders we need to raise to be able to do that. We, we live this stuff daily. We're not above getting it wrong. But before you get to say something about it, you better love it. Otherwise, we won't hear it. We won't hear it. I once had Phil Smithers say something to me, who's the, 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 um, the founder of Overland Missions and been a mentor of mine um, for many years. And, and Phil said to me, Adrian, don't ever feel like you owe anyone who, an answer who hasn't paid a price for you. That's a powerful thing. I will answer to those who have paid a price for me, those that have proven their commitment to me personally. And I'm just talking about my personal life. But I don't need to answer Somebody who comes from the outside, who knows nothing about my context, my journey, my life, and has no care for me and wants to bring criticism. I don't owe them an answer. It's a powerful thing. But for those that have journeyed with me, I'm open cards. You can ask Will. I'm open cards. I'm willing to be, to be criticized. And I just feel like this is so important for us to understand. That for those that will bring their criticism, many who criticize the church and criticize what it is, are themselves personally not invested in it. They're not a part of it. They haven't sacrificed for it. They don't understand it. And so we understand how they misunderstand. That's okay. We pray for them. We love them. We bless them. But anybody that is going to shape our journey better be on the journey. And so even though my wife is, a, is not above criticism, if you don't love her, you don't get to criticize. We won't receive that. That's important to know. So number one, the church is Christ's bride. And we should watch what is going on in our hearts about his bride, about his people, how we speak about it, how we, how we think about it, our attitudes. Do we carry disdain in our hearts for the bride of Jesus? Secondly, because Christ is one with the church, like husband and wife are one, the church is also Christ's body. It is Jesus himself you're talking about when you talk about the church. Now, people go, well, you know, that's just like the, 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 the spiritual element of the church, and it's, you know, the spirit, and it's Jesus, and it's God, and it's, you know, the community, but we just dislike organized religion or the institution of church. But let me tell you that the church is meant to be both. It is an organism, and it is an organization. Because the organization frames the structure. It is the framework within which God is able to do his work. So we have a meeting and we have a community, but that community needs a space to meet. And so we have a building. Now, yes, the church is not the structure, but without the structure, and I'm not just talking about the physical structure, there isn't a way for the, the, the organism to thrive. 
So I've often thought about it as a sapling, a young plant that's growing up. As that young plant grows, it often needs a stake in the ground next to it, and it needs to be tied to that stake so that the life within it can flourish. And we see this, for example, with Moses, where he had a call from God. It was a spiritual call. He was to lead God's people. And he ended up sitting and having thousands of people lining up to hear from him every day to make decisions. And by the wisdom of God, Jethro, his father-in-law, came to him and says, you're going to burn yourself out. What you need is structure. And so he told him, what you need to do is you need to set captains over hundreds and fifties and tens, and they need to filter this through. You need a structure. So don't hate the structure because it supports the life. Rather, find out how you can be a part of that structure and experience that life. I have zero conflict in my heart about the fact that the church is an organization and is also an organism. Because as long as that organization furthers the purposes of God, I'm all for it. Now, we, we know people have experienced the harshness of the dryness of, of protocol and religion and, and, and all those things. And many of you in this place, and we're going to pray today at the end of the service that any of you that have felt hurt by the structure or by the people, that God will bring healing to your life. I had this conversation with one of our, our staff members yesterday when I was talking about um, people that have been hurt in the church and they had experienced some personal hurt. And it was done by the leaders of the specific church that they were a part of. And I said to them, you know what? How many of us haven't been hurt by our own parents? <laughs> At least our feelings. We didn't, none of us had perfect parents. None of us are perfect parents. But that doesn't change the fact that overall, the heart of a family is that we are able to forgive one another because family is still family. Because there's still something greater that God does through the platform of family. And we're passionate about the church and having it be everything that God has called for it to be. But sometimes we have, we have grace for our family members. that we've, We need grace for ourselves because how many of us have had a perfect relationship with those around us? We've all also been the result of, of hurt towards others, right? Or the cause of hurt towards others. And so we want grace for ourselves and judgment for others. But when it comes to the church, people seem to have very little grace. Not realizing that we're all people and imperfect. And so Paul says, if you're going to be a part of the church, which you should be, make room for each other and forgive one another. It's important to do so that we can keep our hearts pure when it comes to our thoughts about the church. But the church is Christ's body, and an attack against the church is an attack against Jesus himself. And this is what Jesus says to Saul. He says, he doesn't say, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting my people? Why are you going out there working against what my people are doing, or the organization, or the, or the community, or the mission? No, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was a personal attack on the person of Jesus. Gamaliel, uh, in a moment of wisdom before the Jewish council that was determined to stop the early church, said this in Acts 5 verse 39. He says, but if this is from God, if this movement, if this organization, if this people, if this community, if, if this faith is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. The gates of hell will not prevail. You may even find yourself fighting against God. 
Why would we set ourselves up to be the enemies of God? Why would we set ourselves up to be in contradiction to what God is doing in this, in this world? Are you fighting against God? Are you breaking down what he is building? Regardless of our opinions about church and how it should be done, it's his bride and not, and not yours, not ours. The body also exists to exercise the will of God as it interacts with the world around us. That's what your body does. It, you know, God speaks to your heart and you're able to live out God's plan for your life. You're able to interact with the world on the basis of, of, of who God has called you to be. And what God wants to do through his body is reach, to restore, to redeem, to love, to bless, to, to, to bring good news, recovery of sight to the blind, healing to the lame, and to declare God's grace and favor available to people's lives. And so this body, the global church, and this local body, Anchor Church, that, that is a part of that global church, listen to me now, is the hope of the world. Anchor Church Joburg and the other churches preaching the gospel in this city we are plan A for this city. And guess what? There's no plan B. God doesn't have any other way that he is going to do it. And what people want to do is they want to be like, like a finger cut off from the hand and they tossed over there. If I cut my finger off today and I threw it over there and I came back next week, what, how effective will that finger be in doing what it was created to do? It will shrivel up and die. It is unable to function without being connected to the rest of the body. And so it's a, it's a passionate thing in my heart about people that say, well, I, I, my vision no longer agrees with the vision of the church. And so I'm just going to be over here and I'm going to be effective by myself. It's not what the Bible says you can be. You can't be effective when you're cut off from the life of the body. And so there's no plan, plan B. This is God's plan. So saying, being a Christian and saying, I don't need to go to church or, or you know, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church is like somebody that has schizophrenic disorder. You, you're not integrated with what you're a part of. And so it's important for us to understand that this is how God chooses to bless us. And Ephesians 4 tells us he gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And their work isn't, their job isn't to do the ministry, but it's to equip the church, the people, the community to do the work of the ministry. And so each one of us have that call. This is how God builds his church as we build together. Finally, because you are one with Christ, it is also your body. It's what you're a part of. And so the church is you. It's every individual together in a community. You are the church. You're one with Christ. And so just like a husband and a wife, the Bible tells us there in Ephesians 5, are one body. It says, it says this there in verses 28 and 29 that I read earlier. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And so what it's ultimately saying is that if you love your wife, you're actually loving yourself. Because you're one flesh with her. 
And in the same way, if you love the church, you love yourself. You're nourishing yourself. You're actually declaring your own sense of self-worth by loving the church because it's what you're a part of. The person that we hurt the most when we hate the church is not the church, but ourselves. It's ourselves. And we have journeyed with people for many years. We have seen the effects. The first step that a person takes is they they start to express criticism towards the church. Now, again, if there's love, we're all for it. But they begin to express that disdain. The next thing, they step out of community. They leave all of our WhatsApp groups. <laughs> we'll see if somebody will be like in five groups. Oh, so-and-so left, so-and-so left, so-and-so left. It's like, okay, something's happening. And our heart isn't one of anger. It's not like, oh, they're leaving. It's, it's one of concern. Because we know that once they disengage, and, and I've said this to many people, I've said, if you're disengaging from anchor church, that's fine. We're not the only church in the city. I would say we're not even the best church in the city. We're just a church in the city. But we are who God called us to be. And if you don't feel like God has called you to be in this place, then that's okay. But then go to where God has called you and serve as wholeheartedly and as thoroughly with everything that you are and everything that you have as you would anywhere else. We're not justified in saying, well, this church did that to me, so I'm going to go to no church anymore. Because I shudder to think of the conversation that you'll have with Jesus one day. Hey, gave you that, those talents? Asked you to be faithful with what I put in your hand. What did you do with it? No, you know what, God, that, that one church in Joburg, they just didn't treat me, they just didn't treat me nice, you know? I just, um, yeah, I didn't like the worship. And, uh, and, you know, I could hear babies cry during the service. So I was like, that's it. Good luck with that when you stand before Jesus one day. Good luck with that. I love having the guys from Overland Missions here. Jake was saying that in their service, they have a zebra on the, on the base there. And sometimes during worship, the zebra comes in and bites people on the bum. <laughs> a perfect service doesn't necessarily equate to a move of the Spirit. And we work hard. We, we really want to do things in excellence because we care about it. But at the end of the day, each of us have a responsibility to say yes to Jesus in our own personal lives. And the justification of how uh, you know, worthy you feel that specific local church was or however justified you felt by the hurt that you experienced is not going to be a valid excuse. Where's our faith? Where do we stand on this matter? So the first question that I have for you in this series today, a question I want you to think about, a question I want you to pray about, a question I want you to be honest with God about. You don't have to answer me in this, in this but, but you have to answer God. Number one, do you love the church? Does that phrase even sit well with you? Do you love it? Willing to lay down your life for it? Not because it's an organization, not because it's a religion, but do you love what Jesus died for? Do you love your own life, the very opportunity God has given you to be a part of something eternal? Do you value and, and, and consider worthy of respect what God has planned for your life and the impact that you can have 
with people around you? Do you love the vision of God? Do you care about your own well-being? To pick some other thing, some hobby or pursuit above Jesus and his church, or to attempt to redefine the bride without the groom's permission is a dangerous thing. Just ask the churches that Jesus spoke to in Revelation 1 and 2 and 2 and 3. People often think that since we're a modern-looking and sounding church, that we're just trying to execute a strategy or some model of church that we picked up in a textbook or on a website somewhere, that we're just trying to execute that. But I want to tell you this morning, and I, and I put my life on this, that this is what we bleed. If you cut me today, I will bleed what we're living out here. And the same is true for all of our leaders and all of our staff. It's who we are. It's in our bones. It's in our blood. We don't even have to think about how we live things out because it comes naturally to us because we believe in what God has called us to do. As a church, it's in our bones. It's what we eat. It's what we sleep. It's what we dream. It's Christ to all nations. It's Jesus to this city. It's Christ in us and through us. It's what we're about. We love the church. Jesus said, a zeal for your house has consumed me. That zeal, that's a, a, an onomatopoeic word that means to bubble over, to boil over. It's the sound of boiling, zeal, zealous. Do you boil over with a passion for the house of God, the people of God, the vision of God? The church is his body. It's his bride. It's all of us. And we better be about building what God is building. That's what Jesus is doing. In the coming weeks in this series, we're going to use the construction of the temple in the Old Testament as a pattern to discuss God's heart for the church, as it points to God's heart, and how every single one of us can be a part of that. In 1 Chronicles 22, David commissioned and raised funds for the building of the vision of God. And he said this, and I'm going to end on this verse this morning. He says, for David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. And the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. If what we're doing, we're doing for Jesus. If what we're doing is, is building something that has an eternal purpose, then why would we think small? Why would we play small? Why would we contribute in small measure? When this is something that God is doing. It's to be exceedingly magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all lands. I will therefore, David says, make preparation for it. Because this matters, I'm going to prepare. So David personally provided materials in great quantity before his death. Because this is what God is doing, I'm going to give in great quantity of myself towards this house. The house that is to be built must be exceedingly magnificent. Why? Because it's being built for the Lord. In the New Testament, this is more than a physical building, but it's a community of people that build a spiritual house as living stones. Each one of us becoming a living stone in the, in, in the house that God is building. 
in the place where God wants to do His miracles. And we're believing that as we form a community that is greater than this building, that is greater than any city, that is greater than any organization, as we form a living community charged with the Holy Spirit of God, that we are going to be able to see God do His miracles on the platform of our community. Lives changed, people saved, hearts turned, restoration, redemption, stories that we will lie on our deathbed one day and we will say, I was a part of something that mattered. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So in the New Testament, we are God's building. So therefore, Anchor Church, since this is a work of God and a work for God, this house shall be exceedingly great. We shall make preparations for it. We shall provide in great quantity of ourselves. And we will build what God is building because it's what He loves and it's what He is doing. Next week, I want to talk to you about the threshing floor in 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Chronicles 21. The threshing floor, how God creates a platform for redemption in our lives. So I want to encourage you, lean into the series. It might be one of those that at first glance doesn't excite you to hear about, but I promise you, just like with the previous series that we did, as we go through it, God is going to shape something in you and it's going to unlock some potential that God has put in you to be living a life greater than anything you've ever dreamed. And we believe in you. We believe in God's plan for you. And our heart is to help connect you to that plan. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand this morning as we pray together?